0: Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the Personal Science inside podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of Life Management Science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to Self-Improvement Atlas. I'm here with Usta Daver kantinwala um, founder of Fine Genetics, a genetic counselor, and you also consult a lot with health Check. am I correct? Yeah, that is correct. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself?
1: Absolutely. So um, first of all, thank you for having me on the show today. Um, just always a pleasure to um, have calls like this and conversations like this. Um, so a little bit about me. I am a genetic counselor. I've been doing this for about 18 years. And uh, a few years ago, I decided to start my own genetic counseling business in this after realizing that there's a gap, at least in the U.S., um, and, and probably worldwide as well in regards to having access to genetic counseling. So it also coincided a lot with the time period where there was so much genetic testing out there or the availability of genetic testing. So many more people were aware of genetic testing and what it does, but there was very little availability for people to get quality genetic counseling information. Um, so I found myself being contacted by a lot of patients directly asking, you know, where can I go to get genetic counseling or there's a family, I have a family history of something or I'm planning a pregnancy. Um, and I thought, you know, this is this is such a right time to start something like this and um, fill the gap. And so that's kind of what started Fine Genetics. And it's telemedicine, um, so it's all, you know, telemedicine before telemedicine was a thing before the pandemic, um, where all the calls are done by telephone or video, and just really the whole process, to make the whole process really easy for for the patient. So just easy way to schedule, easy way to get done.
0: Yeah, and accessible health and counseling, I think, is so important. I mean, the pandemic has taught that to everyone, um, for sure, but I think it's always important to kind of um, get across uh, to as many people as possible.
1: For yeah. those who might
0: not know, what exactly is genetic counselling?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So genetic counselling is the process where um, a genetic coun—actually, it's hard to describe off the bat, but I always like to talk about the types of people that would need a genetic counsellor. So a person who might be planning a pregnancy, for example, and wants to better understand what are the risks that might be present um, to a pregnancy based on either my family history or things that can happen during the pregnancy. So a person who's interested in that might want to seek genetic counseling to learn a little bit more about what those risks might be. Um, Another example might be someone might have a family history of cancer and they want to better understand what is my chance of having cancer given that there are all these different people in my family who have cancer. Um, same for certain neurodegenerative conditions, uh, where someone might be impacted by a condition that um, you know impacts their ability to um, to process things after a while. So, you know, basically, a genetic counselor helps you understand what might be going on within our genes that are causing some of these signs and symptoms. And how do we assess risk for ourselves and potentially for our children as well? The other part of it is also the whole counseling aspect, right? And so, so much of genetic counseling is giving information and helping break down that information in a really easy to understand manner. So that's something that we're trained, um, you know, a lot to do within our within our training programs. But the whole other part of it is how do you help people process that information? And a lot of what we're doing is also helping people understand is doing genetic testing the right decision for you and is now the right decision. So um, while you might want to learn a little bit more about your genetics or about your risk, a genetic counselor will really work with you to help you understand is this something that's really meaningful for you and how do you get to that conclusion? So I always like to use the example of I might speak to a uh, Couple or a patient about the same exact situation, um, but everyone comes to their own conclusion at the end of the session. So uh, the way and the way people make their decisions will vary drastically, um, and that's part of where the whole counseling aspect comes in. Right, right. So, uh,
0: and I think I mean off the top of my head, I know you work in health, but I'm thinking of like ancestry DNA, which is so quick and kind of just a sheet of paper yeah. that people get. And there's no real way of making sense of, you know, all those results, how people came to those conclusions, what they mean. Um, and your work is kind of obviously not in ancestry, but in, in kind of health, making sense of a lot of those results for people. Yeah. As well.
1: And like the ancestry, but actually does tie in as well. Right. So I think oftentimes we... Hold on to certain identities of who we are, um, and what's interesting, or what we're finding from a lot of this testing, because a lot of the tests that look into ancestry also look at certain health traits. And so often, when we are talking to patients, or when I'm talking to patients about this, a lot of a lot of different topics come up, and uh, one common theme is, you know, I I for my whole life I've identified with this particular ethnicity, and my genetic test said I'm only ten percent this. Like this was my whole identity. This is how I identified. Um, So it's kind of working with people and and helping, you know, adjust those. uh, How do you process those new expectations or that new piece of information? Um, And sometimes, you know, we know that there's certain health traits that are more common or health conditions that are more common based on certain ethnic
0: backgrounds as well. Right. Yeah. that definitely helps. Uh, so we're going to talk, I guess, a lot more about that over the course of the episode today. Yeah. We're, we're going to be talking about genetics, testing, um, personal genomics, and also personality traits and, and how they all work together. Uh, I guess to kind of get into the meat of our episode, like, what is personal genomics? How How do you define it?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, there's that official definition of personal genomics, which is, you know, taking the information that's in our whole genome and applying it to your health. Right. And so there are going to be some parts of that that we know have clinical relevance and it might impact your management of your health care. Um, there's some pieces of information that might be interesting information about health traits and some things like ancestry. Um, and then, you know, the way I see personal genomics is how do we take all of that information and make it mean meaningful, meaningful information for the person I'm speaking with? So whether it's, you know, is this information going to change the way your healthcare is managed? Is this information going to change the way that you uh, perceive things? Is it going to help you make modifications in your own day-to-day life and day-to-day world um, to improve your own health? And so it's kind of combining all of that.
0: Right, right. And we're going to put a pin on that because for the first time ever, I have forgotten um, our very first section of the podcast, (laughs) which is, um, have you met Ushta, uh, where where we get to know you a little bit more? Normally, I start off with that right away, but I got so interested in talking about, you know, what is genomic testing and what you do that I totally forgot. We skipped a section Not totally your fault. And I got excited (laughs) to just dive into things as well. So. Um we're going to we're going to start with that first and then return um to our main segment. Um so Ushda, uh what is your favorite book? Um you know, I have so many favorite
1: books and I think one that I'm reading right now is is Kitchen Confidential. It's that it's about Anthony Bourdain and his journeys throughout uh throughout the world and his experiences in different kitchens. So I'm, you know, not Quite even midway through. Um, But that's that's what I'm reading now. And uh, just kind of love reading the biographies of people's lives. I love cooking and food. So it ties in pretty well.
0: Yeah. Are there any recipes in it? None that I've come across yet. (laughs) Okay, that's mm-hmm. a shame. I wish they'd combined the two. I feel like that would have been the ideal shame. And there, there be might out. be. I'm still in the very beginning, so. Right, right. Yeah. Um, what about um, a favorite movie or a movie you've seen recently that stuck with you? Yeah, so
1: um, I have three young kids, three boys, um, and we recently watched the the rides. It's it's a Disney movie, but it's about a story, um, about a true story, about a family, Um who kind of ended up excelling in basketball and just talks a lot about perseverance. and, and I probably like a sucker for kind of a a good like immigrant and perseverance story. And so it was a great um a great kind of biography or documentary on the experiences of this family and how they um kind of rose up um, and and became basketball stars and just the whole experience.
0: Right. Yeah. I don't think I've heard of that movie, but might check it out uh, at some It's point. a good one. I do, yeah. I do love a good Disney movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about a podcast that you're really into?
1: Yeah. So recently, um, and this kind of ties back into, you know, starting starting something new or starting my own practice, you know, as a genetic counselor who mostly worked within hospital settings and kind of pivoting to doing my own thing. Um, one of the challenges is always, you know, you're now running a business, right? And so you might be doing good work and doing genetic counseling, and you do a good job doing that. But if no one knows what you do, and then how are people supposed to get the help they need? So I've been trying to listen to podcasts that um, that talk a little bit about business and marketing and um, putting putting kind of healthcare and health tech together. So um, one recent one that I listened to was by it's called Mind Your Mind Your Business. Um, and it puts together a lot of mindfulness as well as marketing and business, and I and I like that it's by James Wetmore. So it's just just kind of a good. He's a good host. I so enjoyed listening to the, his stories.
0: Cool, cool. Um, one to check out for people who are looking to start their own business as well. Yeah. Um, do you have a famous role model that you've kind of looked up to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, this isn't someone who's like famous in the limelight that we would know. Um, but it's uh, Jacqueline Novogratz. She does a lot of social impact investing. And so she's worked with a lot of people in um, who are suffering through poverty and helping with investments and entrepreneurship to overall improve outcomes. Um, so I, I just love the work that she's doing and just kind of, while genetics is my passion, um, just kind of community service and helping others is kind of this other equal passion that's there. So just kind of look to her as like someone who's doing amazing work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a really cool one. I don't think anyone's named her before, um, but it's always great to hear I guess some of the more unique lower pro, rel- lower profile people. Yeah. Um, yeah. That are doing some really great stuff out there. Yeah. So definitely
1: kind of a like famous for me. <laughs> um, and then I'll say also like my parents, right? Like I love um they're obviously not famous, but um they've had such a, a fabulous impact on um on kind of my development and and my journey as well, so. Well, they're either.
0: famous. They're famous now. Um, you've mentioned yeah, them on the show, no. so they're <laughs> famous now. Yeah. Um, and what about uh, the last course that you completed? Uh-huh. You know, it's been a while since I've done a course, but there have been a lot of um, kind
1: of webinars and information that I've I've been recently listening to One uh, was just on neurogenetics. Um, so kind of diving into some of the latest information and testing technologies in neurogenetics. So
0: that was kind of staying up to date professionally. Right. Yeah. That's always, um, a, a great sign that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> for yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh so, uh, we'll now return, uh, to where we, where we left off. <laughs> um, we defined personal genomics. Um, and now I want to know how, pers- how do you think personal genomics relates to personal development? Yeah. So I think,
1: um, It really depends on what is meaningful to that individual at the time that they're trying to seek the personal genomics. So for example, um, you know, recently I spoke with someone who wanted to understand a little bit more about their genetics and they were considering a genetic test. And in part of that genetic test, there was a test that looked at risk for Alzheimer's disease. Um, and Alzheimer's is a neurodegenerative condition where, really, there isn't any great treatment or medication. Um, so it can it be, and it is very devastating. But to find out that you might be at an increased risk when you're in your 20s or 30s or even 40s, um, in fact, at any time can be can be quite devastating. Um, so you know, this particular test, what you know, what we chatted about in this situation with this patient. Was that, you know, this is just a risk allele. It's not telling us for sure who will or what. Um, and so we talked a little bit about what that information would mean for them. And one of the things we talked about, and it's fascinating because I can have, again, have the same conversation with two people, two completely different conclusions, um, was, you know, will knowing that you're at, you know, potentially a 20 to 40 or 30 to 40% increased risk for Alzheimer's. Um, but what would that mean for you? And for some people, that means it's going to get their butt into gear because we know that eating a healthy diet, having a high level of exercise can mitigate some of that risk. Um, and other people would say, I just don't want the burden of knowing about information. And if you're telling me that eating well and leaving a healthy lifestyle will help potentially mitigate some of those risks, I'm going to do that anyways, but I just don't want information. Um, so I think this is this is. When I look at personal genomics, I look at, you know, how will this information improve your life? Um, And it's going to be different for each person based on how you interpret what those results might reveal.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I'm assuming as well, you know, you mentioned people who kind of don't want to know or people who it will actually help them to know. But I'm assuming you get a variety of clients and some who might, it might be, have a complete adverse effect on them, and that it kind of immobilizes them to to realize what they're at risk of.
1: yeah. and this is why I think where genetic counseling before getting testing is really valuable because this these excuse me, these are the types of things that we really talk about and we dive into is how would you make sense of this information? Is this information that you want to know right now? Because for a lot of people, it does spiral them into a whole other area of anxiety. And for some people, it, it actually reduces the anxiety because they say, I'm thinking about it all the time anyways, but knowing in advance will help me prepare. And it depends. Like each condition is different, right? For this example, I'm talking about, um, you know, a risk assessment allele. This is not a diagnostic test in the sense that it's telling you you will or you won't. But there are other tests that, that do you do that, right? It will tell you that you are definitely at risk, um, and there are certain conditions that are, you know, inherited and can be neurodegenerative. And for that, it always begs the question, you know, what's the point in knowing if there's nothing I can do about it? And if you're telling me I'm essentially going to lose life function by the time I'm 35 or 40, do I want to know that? Um, and there's arguments to be made in both, right? So I think on the one hand, people really want to connect with the community, if they do know that they're positive, they want to connect with the community of people that are also affected or are also in the same boat. Um, it allows you also from a medical management perspective to get connected to clinical trials and therapies and treatments that otherwise you might not be eligible for. It allows you to prepare your family, prepare your mindset, your finances, your you know, life trajectory. And for other people, it's I just you know, don't want to know any of this right now. And I'll look for the signs and symptoms and deal with it when, when I need to. Um, again, no right or wrong way. It's just what makes the most sense for that individual.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and you mentioned earlier, um, you know, about genetic testing and exactly what it is. But I guess that kind of brings me to my next question. What is genetic testing? How exactly does it work? Yeah. And again, I'll kind of bounce that and kind of rephrase that
1: a little bit to the reasons people might seek genetic testing, right? So genetic testing basically is the process where you're looking closer into your genes to see are there any changes in the genes that are associated with disease or health symptoms. Um, and so the different reasons why someone might want to get genetic testing. Um, one of them might be, and we talked a little bit about this, say there is a family history of cancer. So just today, earlier today, I spoke with someone who mentioned Her father passed away from pancreatic cancer. Her um, paternal aunt, so her father's sister, has a whole bunch of other cancers. And then her grandparents had a whole lot of cancer. There's a whole lot of cancer going on in the family, often at an earlier age of onset. Um, And she's 37 years old and wondering, you know, should I do genetic testing? Um, And so we talked a little bit about what that might look like for her and what that would mean for her. Um, And what, you know, Oftentimes, we say with genetic testing, the best person to test is a person who's affected with the condition. And the reason for that is if we were to test someone who's not affected and they came back negative, we don't completely know if they're negative because they just didn't inherit that genetic change. Or are they negative because we just don't know what's causing causing the cancer in that particular person's family, that we just maybe have not identified the genetic changes as yet. Um, so for that reason, testing person who's affected makes the most sense. So that's kind of one, you know, cancer would definitely be um, one example. And what it would do, I think that's the other follow-up question. What would having that answer even mean for her or for an individual? Um, what it would mean for her would be, you know, if she is screen positive, it would certainly mean her um, medical management drastically changes, right? Her screening guidelines, when we'd want her to get screened is going to be very different than what we'd have someone in the general population get screened. She might be offered certain preventative surgeries. Um, so a lot might change for her. Um, I think as as a woman also, there's so many other factors as well, right? We would talk about um, if you had a higher risk for certain types of cancers, would we consider freezing your eggs? You know, does this mean that your future children might be at risk as well? If you're planning a pregnancy and you find out that you have a genetic change, would you want to test embryos? to then say, well, we don't want to necessarily pass this genetic change down to the next generation. So, so many different considerations there. Um, And I guess that segues into another reason where genetic testing comes up. So another case use is uh, people who are planning a pregnancy and maybe they themselves have a genetic condition or there's a family history of a genetic condition or they're both, both reproductive partners are carriers for a genetic condition where there's a chance for a child to inherit that condition. So in that case, you know, we would talk about the option of going through in vitro fertilization or IVF, where embryos are created and embryos are tested. A biopsy is done of an embryo with the purposes of only transferring embryos that are not affected with the genetic condition. So that's another reason or use where genetic testing is is in play. Um, In other cases, it's pediatrics, right? So perhaps there's a child who's presenting with a lot of different symptoms. So oftentimes when we think about uh, multiple different organ systems that are impacted, so say there's a child who's having difficulty with their speech and their vision and their growth and certain behavioral things, we might wonder, is there an underlying genetic change that is causing all of those things to happen? Um, You know, and we often in genetics, we often joke that genetics tends to be the last stop for people. Um, because, you know, you, you've you taken your child to the ophthalmologist and the neurologist and the cardiologist. And then at some point someone says, wait, there's a lot of oligologists involved in here. Maybe you should see a geneticist or the genetics person to see if there's something underlying going on. So that's another reason um, people might want to seek genetic testing. Then there's, you know, adults who might, again, have multiple things going on. Um, and often there's this a bit of this diagnostic odyssey, right? Where you're just searching for so long to figure out what it is that might be going on. And knowing helps you really get connected with other families, um, helps you find the right therapies and treatments. Um so those are just some of the some of the reasons people might choose genetic testing or what genetic testing is in, in
0: yeah, that capacity
1: for diagnostic testing.
0: For sure, for sure. And you mentioned, you know, when we were talking earlier about how a lot of people learn their ancestry as well during this process. Are and they, they and, and apologies if this is a stupid question, but are they separate no such tests? Are they separate tests? Yeah. Or? Fabulous
1: yeah. question. Because there are, so, you know, one of the big takeaway messages that I always have is not all genetic testing is the same. So, there are certain tests that are diagnostic, meaning that we know the specific genetic change that leads to a specific disease or condition. So for example, changes in the BRCA1 gene or BRCA2 gene lead to an increased risk for breast and ovarian cancer. And we know those specific genetic changes that lead to that increased risk. Then there's other genetic testing that's you know, whole genome sequencing, where we can look throughout your whole genome and see if there's any subtle changes and that might be associated with disease. I remember testing lots more um, consumer um, or recreational, like direct consumer testing, like the 23andMe test, for example, where it's combining a little bit of ancestry information, but also giving you information on certain health traits. Like, you know, do, do you have a predisposition to liking cilantro or thinking cilantro tastes like soap? And that is a thing. Like, there is a genetic change where a variant where the taste of cilantro might actually taste like soap to you, or it might be delicious to you. Um, and so those so those are kind of different types of genetic tests. Often um, with some of the direct-to-consumer tests, meaning the tests where you can go online and order it um, and get information on the ancestry and the health traits, um, you know, they're limited in what they're looking at. So one of the big pieces of advice I always tell people is if there is a specific reason you are seeking genetic testing, if there's a specific you know, health condition you have or something in your family history, definitely speak to a genetic counselor in advance because we would direct you to the most appropriate test for you based on that. Um, and then, and then, yes, the ancestry test often comes along with some of these tests, um, but not so much with the in the situation where you're getting the testing because you know that there's a certain health trait you're trying to seek out.
0: Right, yep, yep, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess... Uh, <sighs> Again, this seems like a bit of a bit of a silly question, but I think I suspect there's more to it um, than what it initially seems. Can our genes be influenced by our environment at all? Yeah, um, all the time. So um, there are certain genetic conditions that we
1: refer to as multifactorial, meaning that we know that there's a genetic component, but we know that there's also an environmental component. So, say for example, things like heart disease or diabetes, right? We can see when we do family histories in genetic counseling, we can see large clusterings of family members where people report, you know, their parents, their aunts, their uncles, their grandparents, all of them have a history of diabetes or heart disease. So automatically, without even doing a genetic test, I can tell you that if that's your family history, you also have an increased risk of heart disease, partly because they're shared genes. But we also know that there's a whole bit of environment that, that can take into play in terms of whether or not you might manifest with any symptoms. So say, you know, say you might be at an increased risk for it, but it doesn't necessarily mean you will have diabetes or heart disease in that example, because we know that diet, exercise, lifestyle, all of that can really take into play. Um, so those are some of like the gene and environment interactions that do come into play, And for a lot of conditions, we would refer to that as polygenic, meaning that there isn't just one specific genetic change that leads to that outcome, rather that it's probably changes in many different genes that are impacting. And we see that with things even like, you know, we talk about heart disease and things like that, but we also see it with conditions like depression and anxiety. We do see that there's that, you know, genetic component and we see that in family history. And then there might be some sort of environmental trigger or stressor that sets it off for someone that otherwise it might not for a sibling, for example.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I was thinking about that too. I was gonna. That was actually going to be in my next question is that, you know, genetic, uh, other genetic conditions for, you know, mental health, for example, depression, anxiety, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. or more chronic issues that people might be dealing with, um, I would imagine would factor into the management of a lot of the health risks like cancer, like diabetes, like if Alzheimer's, uh, a lot of kind of the preemptive work that people might need to do in order to help either prolong it or manage it in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think when we think of it that way, it also gives a
1: little bit of agency and hope um, and and control to a situation which otherwise seems so much out of our control, right? And I think we say a lot that genes aren't always our destiny and it's hard for someone when they see such a strong family history of maybe mental illness in their family to to not worry that, hey, can this happen to me as well? Um, And so when we talk a little bit about, you know, there's yes, a genetic component, but there's a whole lot of other things as well that can increase or potentially decrease your risk. Um, it gives you back a little bit of that power that otherwise just seems completely out of your control. Mm-mm.
0: And I guess how and I'm this is probably your entire job, but how <laughs> how can we understand our genes? Yeah,
1: um, I guess I would piggyback that question by saying, what is it about the genes that you do want to understand for for a person specifically, right? So, um, you know, how do we understand our genes? like, yeah, I guess it's it's difficult to answer without knowing specifically why someone would want to understand their genes, right? Is it because they want to improve their health? Is it because there is something that's going on with them specifically or our family history? Um, you know, in doing that, you we could be a little bit more targeted in guiding you to which test is the best test, if any, um. And sometimes it might not even be a test. It might just be understanding your own family history. And sometimes we don't know our family history. And that's okay as well, right? Um, so it really depends what's motivating you to ask that question.
0: Mm. Are there situations in which you could you would recommend a client to get a generic test and, and check for... Um, multiple.
1: So would there be situations where there would be kind of just a a broad test? Yeah.
0: Have you ever, has that ever kind of come up for you in your
1: practice? Absolutely. Um, actually quite a bit now. So there are people who are kind of looking at, you know, a lot of these tests that are out there and thinking like, well, how can I, how can I take a genetic test that helps me be a little bit more control of my health? And there are certain tests out there that are referred to as like a proactive health screen, for example, where, there will be a panel of set genetic conditions or genes that we're looking at where if there are changes in there, that it might impact your management. Um, So say that there might be a change that is um, associated with a higher risk for a certain type of cardiac condition. Well, knowing that could be really meaningful because then you might see the right type of cardiologist and preemptively um, be aware of of that. Um, So in those situations, You know, I am getting a lot more inquiries about, you know, I'm just trying to be really proactive about my health and, you know, cancer, even though there's nothing in my family history, I'm a little freaked out about it. And if I can find out if I'm at any increased risk, I want to know. Uh, And so there's that um, that people preemptively want to learn about.
0: Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, I might move on then to our practice slash habit experiment debrief. Yeah. What is a practice that you do to kind of be the best person of yourself, best best version of yourself um, within, I guess, the, the scope of the g- genetics and, and yeah. what you're capable of?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's it's interesting. So I always, excuse me, a little hiccup. Um, I like to practice. I do this practice of gratitude uh, where I just, before I get on a call with any patient, I just close my eyes and I envision and I ask myself, you know, how might I best, you know, help this person? So it's just kind of the practice of mindfulness and a practice of gratitude where, you know, anytime someone, and it sounds a little silly, but anytime someone, um, has a session or books a session for me, I'm always grateful. Like, thank you for trusting me to help you in this journey as you try to understand more about your health and your genetics. Um, and so kind of, I, in, in kind of, taking a little pause before I get on a call or even before I did speaking with you, just asking myself, you know, how might I be most helpful in this situation to give the best information? Um, I think it just kind of helps me focus and keeps me grounded uh, as well. It's just a little practice that I do.
0: Yeah. And what, are I guess three good things you found about it for yourself. I think it
1: really helps me hone in on clarity. Um, keeps me focused, keeps me grounded. And right. I think it it keeps me aware of, you know everything that I already have and everything that I've already achieved and how amazing where I'm at is already. right? And so I think whenever you're in business um and you're trying to grow a practice or a business, you're always looking forward and thinking, you know, I need to do I need to do. And then sometimes we fail to realize like I have done, and I am grateful for where I am right now right now is pretty awesome too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I'm also assuming, I guess this kind of um, mindful practice is really helpful for your clients who are kind of, you know, coming to you and making sense of perhaps information that they've just received. And it just kind of helps them like lay it out and just understand it a lot better and also put a positive spin on things, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. I think I think when you're when you're in this type of healthcare setting, it's important to come across and to have a sense of calm um, and a sense of clarity, and that always helps the person kind of better understand what are the questions that they even need to ask, um, and how do you make sense of that information as well. Yeah. So I do think, yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about it directly that way, but but
0: yeah, it is helpful. That's pretty cool. Uh, what are, I guess, the challenges um, with this practice?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are like like any days and any person, right? There are going to be more challenging days. And um, like I mentioned earlier, I have three kids. And so days can get busy. And at the end of the day, sometimes like, huh, I'm totally zonked. Um, like, and it was a bit of a chaotic day. You know, what could I possibly be grateful for? And then you pause and you're like, there is a lot to be grateful for. And sometimes it's in the very, like, basic things, like even you know, showing gratitude for the fact that we have technology, that you are in Australia, and I am sitting here, you know, in the United States, and we're able to have this conversation and deliver this information, this message to so many other people, like, wow, that's something to be totally amazing, like, amazingly grateful for. Um, and so it's kind of like, when, when there are days when like, what could I possibly be grateful? I'm like, I'm grateful for this bed right now, so I could sleep, <laughs> or I'm grateful for my phone, so I could make this call. But yeah, is that? and sometimes those are the challenges, and It it kind of at the end of it all, you're still like, oh, okay, I got through that day. And um, and it just kind of adds a a nice sense of calm to everything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think like uh, even just the little things, even if they feel insignificant, kind of saying that to yourself can really help make you feel a lot better. Um, especially on those days where you're like, I have nothing to be grateful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I always say like, when you're struggling to think about it, think about the things that you wouldn't want to be without like, Oh, right. Getting to this place would be really hard without a vehicle. So I'm really grateful for that Uber driver or whatever, you know, um,
0: that like came my way. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, how often, uh, do you practice it? whenever I can. Um, so
1: so definitely before I get on calls, I try to do it in the morning. I try to do it at night. So those are kind of my, my standard times.
0: Is it kind of like a, a preparation thing for you almost when you're about to begin something or do you not see it that way?
1: Uh, possibly. I do. Um, I think it's just, again, it's like it's bringing that sense of calm and clarity to each case mm-hmm. that I to each person that I speak with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes it's it's interesting. You know, we think of genetics as being so absolute um, and having answers. And I think patients come to it sometimes thinking like, well, I want this clear answer. And we walk away from it, both of us realizing that it's not always going to be our yes or no answer. And it's that journey or that process that gets you there. And it's understanding that there's certain things we have control of and there's certain things we totally don't have control over. So let's focus on things that we can control, whatever they may be, right? Um, And often, this happens a lot when we're talking about pregnancy and pregnancy loss, or the tests that we do and what we can do. And I always tell people, you know, trust that you've done the best that you can. that You've received the best information you can. You've done the most that you can. And now the rest is just, there's nothing else we can do. So find some, like, strength and calm in that and, and let's, you know, move on,
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you, you know, when you are kind of struggling to kind of find something to be grateful for, or when you're just really, really busy, how do you kind of find the time to just pause and do it? Um, I don't know, sometimes there is no time
1: to pause and do it, right? Like when when life and like, life is just busy, right? With personal and professional Um, I try to embed it in first thing in the morning. So it's almost like with any sort of routine that you do, when you pair it with something else, it just becomes that much more manageable. Um, so I just try to do it for me specifically. It's, um, you know, once my kids are set and off to school and it's so tempting to just sit there at my computer and address all those emails and dive right into the day. But I tell myself it's literally five minutes. Um, and so then I just kind of go in a different room and just be do the mindful practice and then come right back.
0: Right. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and how, would you recommend this practice to everyone or are there perhaps groups of people that you feel it doesn't quite work for?
1: I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it wouldn't work for anyone. I think it absolutely would work for anyone and I would absolutely recommend it for, for anyone and everyone to try. Um, because it just kind of puts things in perspective um, and keeps you in that present moment. So I, I don't, I personally haven't experienced a negative aspect of it, um, but it's not always going to be for everyone, right? I think it's it's finding your own, finding whatever it is for you that works um, could could also be just equal as equally effective.
0: And there's, I think there's so many different ways to be mindful um, and and express gratitude and show gratitude that there there has to be a way that works for everyone I think
1: yeah I mean whether it's sometimes for some people it's just going out on a walk and being in nature for me I know that that definitely applies as well um but whatever it is and sometimes it's just recognizing when someone's just been really nice Um, you know just this morning went out for breakfast and just was amazed I'm like everyone here is so nice and I'm really grateful
0: for that that's great it's a great way to start my morning Um, yeah absolutely Absolutely. Um, and based on your experience, are there any other practices or habits, um, that you would combine, uh, with this? Not that I can think of off the top of my head right now.
1: Um, no, um, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not a crazy exercise boss. I'm not like, there's things that I could be, should be doing, but I like, probably do a lot of things in moderation, but this is just one of the things that are consistent for me that's just been pervasive throughout my life. Professionally ties in as well because I found it to be so helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of our debrief. um, And we're going to move on to a couple of questions from the audience. Are you happy to answer them? Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, So I guess one question, and this is something we discussed earlier when we were talking about ancestry, um, is how can the results of a DNA or ancestry test um, change the way we perceive ourselves? Yeah, I think,
1: I'm not sure if I have too much more to add to what we said before, but, but I think one of the ways is we identify so much with our, our, what we're told truly we are, and we hang on to that, um, that it can be quite shocking to learn that you might not have that background that you thought. The other thing that does come up with a lot of ancestry or genetic testing is that sometimes you find out that, you know, you might not have the relatives you thought were your relatives. You might not be the child of the person, the people that you thought you were the child of. So, you know, um, that now has come up. We always say in in today's day and age, there are no genetic secrets. Um, And we're seeing that a lot because there's people are with the technology that we have, the different tests that are out there. You can now identify a little bit more about who you might be related to and be happier.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So uh, I guess for whoever sent her the question, listen to the start <laughs> of this episode because uh, we covered that quite a bit. Uh, the next question is, how much do genes determine our personality? Yeah. Um,
1: You know, I don't think I have a really great answer for that. Uh, so I know a lot of the work that has been done has been done typically in twin studies where you look at um, genetically identical twins and you assume if they're brought up in the same home, in the same environment, that you solve for their environment being consistent and that therefore any differences in personality would bond perhaps be genetic. Um, and so they, I don't know data off the top of my head, but that would be one way to dive a little bit more into it is looking into the twin studies to say, you know, how much or what percentage is uh, genetic versus environment. But yeah, I don't have that number off the top of my head.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And I guess the next question, uh, and this wording is a bit complicated. So give me a little while to read it. Um, if we can sequence a person's entire genome, how well can we predict their future health? That was less complicated than I thought it would be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, well, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> um, probably pretty well, right? Um, we would be able to identify certain genetic changes that we know are associated with disease. But because we've just started using this technology, and this has been the case for any time we have a new technology, you know, we have the ability to detect things well before we have the ability to process they they. So we might see certain genetic changes, but we don't completely know what they might mean yet. Partly because we haven't tested, you know, thousands and thousands of people to understand, is this genetic change just part of normal human variation? Or is this particular change actually associated with disease or something that could be? Could for sure,
0: for sure. That was going to be, I guess, my follow up question is, can we actually do that um, accurately? Are yeah, we at a level I mean, where we can do that? we're at a level
1: where, you know, now we're able to sequence a whole genome, and it's getting cheaper and quicker. And you know, it's um, that technology is absolutely out there and it's, it's a whole lot of data, but it's cautionary because they, what do we do with it, right? And how do we use it and apply it? And what do some of these changes mean? So there are people who, you know, you're getting this data and you're getting your raw DNA files and you're looking at these changes, but how well do we understand what these changes actually mean um, mm-hmm. in, in kind of the context of health? is a good question. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of brings us to the end of our questions from the audience. Um, I'm going to leave it there because I feel like the other ones that are sent in, we've kind of already discussed over the course of our episode. Um, we've now got um, our final section of the evening, which is the open mic, uh, in which I let you have like a mini TED talk, <laughs> and you can go off about whichever topic you want. Do you have something in mind? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's
1: that that little tidbit of, of advice that I always give people is, again, if you're ever thinking of taking a genetic test, just pause and ask yourself a um, couple questions. And one of the main question is, what will this information do for me? Um, how might it impact my health? Is this information I want to know now, or could this be potentially information that I would want to know five years from now, 10 years from now? Um, and then if there is a specific reason why we're having a genetic test or a specific health reason, please seek out the advice from a genetic counselor because there are so many different genetic tests out there that the last thing we want to see you do is just spend your money, time, and energy getting a test that might not be the best test for you based on what your needs are. So that's kind of my little plug for um, just doing it the right way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's, it's that long-term benefit of helping you make sense of what you receive, helping you understand, you know, whether you're even in the place to process it. Uh, But if you are in the place to process it, exactly how to go through that and you're not doing it alone. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of what drove me to start my own business as well, right? With, with fine genetics is just an easy way for people to get connected, right? There was the whole so many people are able to do genetic tests now, but what's a quick and easy way to get connected to quality information that's not biased? Yeah. And just doing it via a telemedicine model. Um, and yeah. so it's been, it's been really nice to be able to deliver that type of information to people who are looking for it now.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Ushta, where can our audience find you? Yes, you can find me on social media
1: at 5Genetics. At, at um, and you can visit me at my website, which is Um, and LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, I'm on all of those.
0: As soon as I said, where can people find you? I realized that was kind of a bit of a pun. No. <laughs> oh, that is true. You know, I never thought about that. And actually, um,
1: you know, I always, always like to mention that because so much of what drove me to start my own business was obviously that, that need, um, that was the gaps in, in healthcare but also to be more present uh, with my family as well and to create, design a life that was just fulfilled for me in all different ways. And um, the name Find Genetics are the initials of my, of my kids minus the I. Oh
0: my God, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So kind of work together. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Um, I've had such a great time talking to you and I've learned so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Self Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can also be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kutti. Thanks for tuning in.